0: Let us pray. May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that with eyes of our hearts enlightened we may know what is the hope to which God has called us. This we pray in our Savior's name. Amen. We need hope. We're not the first ones, nor will we be the last ones, but we do need hope, and we need it now. Our gospel reading for this morning comes from Mark, the 13th chapter. This confusing, difficult chapter is often called the Little Apocalypse. Here we have comments about the temple being destroyed, false prophets, Wars and rumors of wars, persecution, the sun going dark, and in the midst of it all, the Son of Man coming in clouds and with great glory. The chapter paints a dramatic and rather disturbing picture. It seems a bit chaotic to me. It may reflect how Mark and his readers experienced their world. Scholars debate when the Gospel of Mark was written. General consensus seems to be around 65 to 75 AD, a 10-year span dating a document that is 2,000 years old seems to be close enough, with the exception of one key event— The Jerusalem temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. Was this gospel written before the destruction of the temple, thus predicting its demise, or was it written afterwards, interpreting those events? There are plenty of opinions on the matter, and I'm not knowledgeable enough to have one of them. What is clear, however, is that Mark wrote during a turbulent time. A few years ago, Simon Montefiore published Jerusalem, the Biography. This bestseller traces the history of Jerusalem from King David to the modern period with a vividness that reads almost like a novel. The characters, battles, drama, and intrigue capture the reader's attention even as it's hard to keep straight the story as it's told in a rapid clip. In his chapters on the mid-first century AD, the time period known to Mark and his contemporaries, the author paints a picture of great turbulence. Consider a few of these snapshots of this period. After King Agrippa died in 44, Montefiore writes Jerusalem was run in an ambiguous partnership between Roman procurators and Herodian kings. But they could not soothe the turbulence caused by a succession of prophetic charlatans, ethnic conflicts between Greeks, Jews, and Samaritans, and the widening gap between the rich. Pro Roman elites and the poor religious Jews. A little while later, when Felix was the Roman procurator in Judea, bandits murdered opponents at a festival. Faced with ethnic slaughter and repeated pseudo prophets, Felix struggled to keep the peace even while still enriching himself. Amid this apocalyptic turbulence, The small sect of Jesus was now split between its Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and its Gentile followers in the wider Roman world. Next came Florus, the procurator of the area for two years in the mid 60s. Florus flagellated and crucified his prisoners, including Jewish elites who were Roman citizens, and this was the last straw. The temple aristocrats could no longer count on Roman protection. Those near Florus begged him to stop, but he wanted vengeance and booty. As a result, the desire for rebellion against the Romans grew and grew to the point that the rebels overran a Roman military garrison. An initial effort to quell the rebellion failed resulting in the death of thousands of Roman soldiers. Rome's response was dramatic. Gathering 60,000 troops to subdue the, the rebellion. The Romans marched through Galilee, conquering land and sending refugees fleeing. Not surprisingly, through the years Divisions among the Jews about how to live under Roman rule increased. Moderates cooperated with the occupying force. Extremists saw no room for compromise. Some were motivated to be practical. Others were motivated by religious conviction. Some priests tried to maintain the calm, while revolutionaries challenged the priests Others were simply rogues and bandits in the midst of it all. So even while the Roman troops are heading to Jerusalem to punish the city, a bitter and bloody battle was taking place among factions within the city. Before long, the Romans surrounded Jerusalem, intending to punish it for its rebellion and in 70 A.D., the punishment was severe as they destroyed, slaughtered, and burned their way through the city. One source estimates that a million people were killed and thousand more, thousands more taken to Rome as slaves. During the rampage, the temple was destroyed. This is the context for Mark and his contemporaries. Life must have felt chaotic. An empire ruling their land, sending a variety of corrupt and incompetent leaders to Judea, growing divisions among the people based on class and ethnicity, competing visions of the best way forward, violence spilling out into the streets. The small band of Jesus' followers lived in a turbulent, frightening environment. I expect they understood apocalyptic language. Images of the sun going dark and stars falling from the sky probably made sense to them. In the midst of all this, the Christians needed hope. Hope is in the words of Jesus. In this passage, Jesus declares that the Son of Man will come in clouds and with great power and glory and will gather his elect from the four corners of the world. The Son of Man will will come with power, with great power that surpasses the turmoil of the day. God has not abandoned the people in the midst of chaos Nor is God ignoring their suffering. Instead, while the stars are falling from the very sky, the Son of Man will be revealed to the people. What is hidden will be seen. And when the Son of Man comes, he will gather the people from the ends of the earth, and God will gather the people into the divine fold. The ingathering of the people is a theme of Old Testament eschatological hope. All those who are scattered will finally be brought home. Implied here is the safety and security of the divine realm, and the prophets point to a realm of peace and justice. It is a realm for which we all long. Note in Mark what is revealed here is not a final judgment of punishment and reward. This passage does not encourage the self-righteous to gloat over those who might be beyond redemption. There is no weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mark and his contemporaries did not need the threat of punishment. What they needed and heard was hope. God would not abandon them. In fact, when they could see past all of the suffering and turbulence, when the time was right, what they would see and what they would experience was the gracious gathering of the people of God. The time of gathering in the divine presence is coming. The chaos that we see is not the last word. God is sovereign the divine rule will order our lives, not the tempests of the day. The Son of Man is coming, and we need to hold on to that hope. God is good and faithful and does not abandon us to the forces around us. Be alert, watch, and wait for what God will yet do, for the day is surely coming. There's only one little problem with this promise and this hope. And that's the temple. For the ancient Israelites, the temple in Jerusalem was the site at which the people would gather. The temple represented the center of faith and was the tangible reminder of God's presence among the people. When God vowed to gather the people again, it would be to the promised land, with Jerusalem and the temple at its center. Consider this from the book of Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. See, I am going to gather them from the lands to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in my indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will settle them in safety. They shall be my people and I will be their God. If the temple is gone, how could this promise be fulfilled? Mark opens chapter 13 with one of the disciples remarking on the temple, Look, teacher, what big stones, what a large building. And Jesus responded, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon the other. All will be thrown down. Even if the temple had not yet been destroyed, its future did not look good. This conundrum points to the need to keep alert. As the disciples tried to figure out the timing of the arrival of the Son of Man, as Mark's contemporaries wondered how long the chaos in their world would continue, As we long for an end to our current crises, what we find is not a calendar appointment in Microsoft Outlook. Instead, instead what we are given are admonitions about vigilance. Be alert, be aware, keep awake. Last week, Reverend Cast. Catherine Lester Bacon encouraged us to pay attention as she preached on the separation of the sheep and goats in Matthew 25. The passage teaches us that whenever we care for the hungry, sick, or imprisoned, we do so to Jesus himself. Reverend Lester Bacon said we are called to pay attention, to notice those who are vulnerable, hungry, shivering, shaking, imprisoned, and isolated. Giving such attention is means of caring for the body of Christ. A few weeks ago, Dean Powery addressed a similar theme as he preached on the parable of the wise and foolish bridesmaids, also in Matthew 25. The parable tells of the bridegroom who is delayed, only to surprise the bridesmaids at midnight. In reflecting on this passage, Dr. Powery said. There is a call to stay awake to the presence and appearance of Christ whenever and wherever that may happen. The Spirit is moving us once again today through our scriptures to stay awake and alert. Today our attentive waiting is for the arrival of the Son of Man, We are watching for that time when God will draw all of God's people into the divine presence and there find blessings which transcend and transform the chaos of the day. We need to pay attention as we wait for this revelation, not only because we don't know when the Son of Man will come, but also because we don't know how it will happen. We need to be alert for the appearance of God, certainly in terms of timing. No one knows when God will appear. It could be similar to the ripening of a season in which the time of the harvest is obviously coming. Or it could be like a thief in in the night, totally unexpected. We need to be alert because we don't know God's timing. It could be anytime. We also need to be alert as to how God will come. God's track record is full of surprises. A burning bush, a still small voice, a baby born in Bethlehem. No wise woman or ruling man could have predicted these events. I doubt we can predict how God will next be revealed in our lives. So we need to keep awake. When one of the disciples marveled at the unshakable stones of the temple, unshakable both physically and spiritually, I imagined the shock in hearing Jesus say it would all be cast down. And then a little later, there is a conversation about Jesus destroying the temple and in three days, building another. We know what the disciples couldn't yet see. The physical temple was destroyed, but the people of God were not. The new gathering site for the people of God is now Jesus himself. Our meeting place, our center, is not a physical place, it is Jesus. When God breaks into our chaos and suffering, God draws us to Jesus. When we are gathered with folks from north and south and east and west into the presence of the risen Christ, there we will find the power and glory of God. In Christ We find unimaginable blessings. We humans have lived and do live in turbulent times. We are in a period of waiting, waiting to see what God will do next. We long for God to break into our midst once again, revealing divine power and glory. In Jesus Christ, God has come and will come again. We do not know how or when, so we need to be alert with open eyes and open hearts, watching and waiting to see what God will do and what God will reveal. As we watch and wait, praying, come Lord Jesus, we can be sure that God will come and it will be good. This is our sure and certain hope. Thanks be to God. Amen.